Hello and welcome to another delish episode of the Finance Burrito. So this is a very judgment-free space where we discuss um, the confusing financial concepts and news topics millennials are tackling. I am Liv G and I work as a writer at financial comparison site mozo.com.au and every fortnight I team up with my Mozo Journal colleague Tom Watson to create this podcast. Sup Tom? Hey, hey everyone. Hey. Uh, episode six, half a dozen. It's, you know, it's like a small milestone. It is. Loving it. Very exciting. Yeah. And um, it's a bit of a treat. Uh, we're investigating something that's a little bit left of our regular financial field, aren't we, Tom? Yes, that's right. We are focusing on the world of gaming this week. So, you know, we're, we're talking Candy Crush. We're talking Call of Duty. We're talking Crash bandicoots all oh the fun God. stuff yes yeah, yeah. so long ago um I, actually i'm not sure if we're talking about any of those specifically but <laughs> we are going to look at what people spend on the hobby of gaming uh or you know it could be a lifestyle for many i'm sure it is uh and of course why people spend what they do on it yes um so to get to the root of it all we'll be chatting with both a game developer and also a dedicated gamer so we can sort of look at both sides of the gaming equation yeah this is going to be a fun episode and to round things out we're gonna well we're gonna press pause on games and have a bit of a chat about another lockdown friendly hobby which i think we both relate to i'm sure everyone else does out there which is ordering (laughs) things online Uh, more specifically though we'll be spilling the beans on what we're willing to do to avoid delivery or shipping fees fees i should say and spoiler it is a lot in my case Yes, so many parcels, but um, let's get cracking with the meat. So to get each episode rolling, we look at some recent uh, research or financial trends and we decipher what it all means. Yes, so today, as we said, we are getting on the gamer train. Choo-choo? Is that... Is that Why not? Is there a virtual train <laughs> game that we should be referencing here? There's, there's something for everything, I'm train sure. Train Simulator 2000, yeah. <laughs> Um, wow. But the reason we're talking about this is because I think if a lot of us have been thinking about our hobbies, I mean, we have, um, as well as our social life and our spending, um, given that they've all changed a fair bit during the pandemic, during mm-hmm. the lockdown, during COVID. Um, personally, I'm not actually sure if I've been consuming a whole heap of uh, media or at least more media than I usually would, but I've definitely been playing more video games because they're a bit of an escape (laughs) i think that's fair to say and one that you can do at home obviously yes very socially distance friendly so my um i i'm not a big gamer myself but my partner he's um pretty big in pc gaming and he normally in you know normal times he plays at least once or twice a week um with uh mates online who are actually in our really close social circle of not virtual friends as well (laughs) So it's been it's been kind of interesting to see how it's been quite easy for him to maintain that uh, social connection throughout all of this while we might not sort of be be seeing them physically uh, in recent time. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a really good way to keep in contact when you can't actually mm. see each other. But do you reckon he's spent more time gaming throughout this whole thing or playing with his mates? Probably not because he already did a fair bit. So I think he hasn't really upped the ante. So he hasn't been sacrificing um, sleep to play. (laughs) No, 
But um, the thing that I found interesting is that it's uh, something that we will do a little bit together now, which oh, it okay. wasn't uh, was before. About a year ago, he actually bought a, a VR set, which is a little bit exciting and something that I could sort of get more into. I just find looking at a computer screen for like five hours a bit too much. But you pop on the VR headset and you're in another world. So that's kind of an interesting thing that we've been getting so into. So total together. escapism then. Yeah, like full on. You can just you can actually just go on Google Maps and like plonk yourself anywhere in the world and like walk down a street in Brazil. It's wild. Hey, it's that's cool. pretty cool. Yeah, it's not everything. even a, it's not even a game. It's just like I'm exploring. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so that's been really interesting. But um, what about you, Tom? Are you a pad masher? Uh, no, I am not. I'm a very casual gamer, um, as is my partner, actually. And, you know, she's actually the one that got me back into gaming a little bit more in the past couple of years. But, cool. you know, I will say, like I said before, I think um, I've definitely been playing more um, more games since lockdown um, before everything kind of, like, hit the fan. We went out and spent maybe a couple of hundred dollars, like a hundred, two hundred dollars on a bunch of games to help us tide us over because obviously nice. we were going to be spending a lot more time at home. So I've clocked up a fair few hours playing The Witcher since then, um, which is an awesome game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could talk about that a lot or the TV series and Henry Cavill for uh, anyone. Oh, very that, good. Gorgeous. Yeah, there we go. So you've watched it as well. <laughs> I um, have, yes. Yeah, there we go. But, you know, we won't. Uh, maybe another episode. Um mm-hmm. But dedicated do... entirely to <laughs> yeah, the Henry Cavill episode. Yeah. <laughs> not it. sure how we're going to bring that in, but yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, I, we do want to talk about spending in gaming, though, because uh, we actually have some research on just how much Australians, and specifically younger Australians, are spending on gaming. So a survey that Mozo did back in April found that 41% of people in the millennial age bracket spend over $40 a month on video games, which, you know, comes out to about five hundred dollars a year and for me that's it's a lot of money yeah it does sort of feel like it and especially with half that group of people who are spending that amount uh more than 40 the other half are spending more than double that so it's a pretty big bucks um but i thought it was kind of interesting when i chatted with my boyfriend and his gamer mates about it um they said they probably wouldn't be spending that much and i think it's it's a bit of a testament to sort of the vastness of the gaming industry mm. and yeah, and how you can spend money within it. So a PC gamer will have a very different approach to spending than a console gamer, like on an Xbox or a PlayStation or people using mobile games. So there's huge price variations and also the way you can buy something outright or continue to spend money on it. Um, and there are different incentives within games that um, sort of uh, change that from person to person. So I think it's, yeah, it's kind of a really interesting and really uh, changeable area. Yeah, and it seems like one that's like seriously developed since we were kids and since we were gaming um, in, what, the 20 years since then. Because, mm. you know, I remember like as a kid that like you'd go out and buy a game, what parents would go out and buy mm. a game for you. Beg like, them for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like I remember begging my parents for Mario Kart on Nintendo 64 and you know, they bought me that and I don't know how much that would have been, what, 60, 70 bucks back then. And I just play it and play it and play it. And that would be the game that I would play. And, you know, that would be it. There'd be no more purchases beyond that. But I think yeah. things have really changed since then. Yeah, it's kind of like you buy it, you buy the, you have the initial purchase, but then you're buying new maps, you're unlocking new features, you're getting cool outfits, which cost money. And you just keep spending within that one game. And um, Tom, 
Now you've had a chat with a game developer who can kind of clue us in a bit more on how the the specifics of that work, haven't you? Yes, I have. Uh, So each week uh, we seek out uh, experts and insightful voices to, you know, help us squeeze a little bit of extra knowledge on the topic uh, in a segment that we like to call The Source. And as you said this week, we actually, well, we actually have double source. So two interviews. Uh, Yum. I will let you introduce your very own uh, excellent interview in a little bit, Liv. But first up, I chatted to Tom Young. Uh, Tom is a mobile game developer based in New Zealand, and he's designed and released actually a bunch of games and all by himself i should add um over the years including faust super faust and daddish um all of which you can check out on the various app stores if you choose to um so we covered a fair bit of ground during our convo uh, including what goes into making a great game the financial side of things but i started off asking tom just how he got into gaming himself and then how he got into game development were you always into gaming as a kid and how did you get into game development if, if that's the right word i'm not sure if that's the right term yeah yeah i mean that's that's what i would call it i mean i, I sort of never know if i'm a, if i call myself a game developer or a game designer or i don't know what the right thing to say is but um yeah i've i've sort of been into games since i was a kid um and been interested in making games since i was a kid and um at sort of i think when i was about 11 or 12 i had a thing on my computer called click and play which um was a sort of make your own game piece of software which sort of introduced me to that sort of game development kind of avenue a little bit and um yeah so i sort of dabbled in it over the years but then um maybe about five or six years ago i sort of got interested in it again and um thought maybe i should try and do this um a bit more seriously and um for the last sort of year and a half i've been doing it as a full-time job and um that's been really good so it's um been a long time coming really yeah wow and did you did you have a favorite game as a kid um i was i'm a still am a big fan of the um old sonic the hedgehog games oh wow yeah was that was that a uh, on dreamcast or was that oh, on playstation i can't remember or computer for, for me it was sega sega master system originally and i oh, had a wow. dreamcast as well later on um, but yeah just a big oh. sega fan in general really yeah right okay god that's uh that's a bit of a blast from the past yeah. definitely i remember i remember when the dreamcast came out and everyone was like wow what is this i mean i was a bit of a 64 guy myself um i think that's still one of my first loves in life was that uh was that 64 console and mario kart and those kind of things but uh yeah, yeah I, I could probably talk all day about, <laughs> about that so um so you've created a number of games now uh, mobile yeah. games um but most recently, I believe you launched one called Daddish. So, could you, yeah, give us a little bit of an explain about what Daddish is all about? Yeah, so um, Daddish is um, it's just, it's sort of in the same vein as like um, Super Mario Brothers. Um, it's a sort of two D side scrolling platforming game for mobile, um, where you're a dad who's also a radish, and his radish children have gone missing, and so it's sort of these short, sharp levels that are they get quite hard and at the end of each level um you rescue one of your radish babies and have a little conversation with them and it's a sort of little little bit of a a joke at the end of each level which is kind of kind of a a reward kind of thing i guess um but it's done really well it's um i think if if it hasn't done a million downloads yet it probably will in the next week or two it's um, wow pretty close 
And when did you release it originally? In February, middle of February. Wow. Yeah. So a million downloads in the last six months or so. Yeah, yeah. So it's been really great. Um, I think, and I, I, I hate to say it because I don't want to be someone who's benefiting off the um, coronavirus, COVID-19 thing, but I think a lot of people have been stuck at home looking for things to do on their, um, you know, messing around on their phones and things. And that's actually probably helped it a little bit. But people have needed, um, been looking for games and things on the app store because they needed something to do. I, I, I don't think that's surprising at all, right? And that's uh, one of the things that we were talking about a little bit earlier in the podcast as well, that, you know, there has been this this big rise in gaming, people buying games, people getting into it, because like you said, you know, what else are you going to do yeah. at the moment? So, yeah, I know I've been doing that. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, when, when you were creating Daddish and uh, your other games as well, did you have a particular audience in mind that you're looking to attract or is it kind of a, quite a broad kind of base that you're looking for? Um, I, I sort of, I mean, I sort of did, but I sort of, I make games with sort of myself in in mind or someone very like myself, you know, so I'm sort of, I mean, I, I had played a couple of games that were quite similar on mobile and thought, you know, like, why aren't there more like this? Like I really mm. enjoyed this style of game. Why aren't there more like this? And I'm sure there are other people like me that um, it would appeal to. So I sort of set out to try and make that. But at the same time, I'm, Often when I'm making something, it's sort of as a challenge to myself as much as it is to appease a potential audience, kind of. So I'll make something. And I think I think if I'm excited about it, then generally someone else will be at the end of the day. <laughs> but, yeah. I'd imagine that means that you have to have pretty high standards. If you, you've got to impress yourself first. So, you know, Sometimes. if you're impressing yourself, then then surely you're impressing other people. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of the, the kind of creative process do, do you do everything um and, and and what goes into that like what do you actually have to do to create a game yeah i'm i'm a bit unique in that way and i wouldn't recommend it to other people starting out making games that you try and do everything but i am um, because before this i was a graphic designer and before that i was a programmer and i had had been a semi-professional musician on the side from that when I was a bit younger. So I sort of have those, those are sort of the three things you kind of need to make a game at the core of it, um, is being able to do the graphics, being able to do the sound and the music and um, being able to write the code. And I'm not, I'm sort of a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. Like I'm not super great at any of those things, but I know enough that I can get the end product out the door, which um, is fortunate for me. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a perfect skill set to have that, like going into this. I'm, yeah, I'm quite lucky, and because it sort of happened that way, that um, it wasn't um, planned. <laughs> so I imagine that you know you're a creator, you're a developer. So I imagine this is like a huge part of what you do and what you think about. But what are the elements that actually go into making a game appealing? Like you touched on the graphics, that you touched on the the sound. Like what what really goes into it? Um, it's a really good question and it's a really tricky one to quite sort of pinpoint what it is but I think I think it, it's everything really it's um, having graphics that are appealing having um, characters that are appealing having a, a premise that is slightly novel I think um, that's something that really helped Daddish and that the whole he's a dad and a radish thing is a bit absurd and people actually latch on to that 
I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like when it's on the app store, um, under the actual name, you have a little tagline under each name of each app in the app store, and it says, um, so it says Dadish, and then underneath it says, he's a dad and a radish. And I think, like, I've seen people tweeting little screenshots of the app store of that. And I think that sort of is shown to me that, hey, maybe people like the silliness a little bit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to exactly put my finger on what makes things appealing. But I think it's just a combination of, um, yeah, nice characters, nice sound, nice, um, nice music, nice um, premise, I guess. <laughs> you know obviously this is a financial podcast so we're really interested in the monetary side of this as well so you specialize in mobile apps um and sorry mobile games but how how do they actually make money and how have you approached that yourself that's something that i've um i've made quite a few games over the years and um have been trying with each one a sort of different approach to try and make money and see what works the best way but the, um for me, what's been the best has been just selling advertising space. So um, you can go through different companies um, like Google. Um, I, I use Unity ads, um, but there's lots of different ones. Um, and you basically sell them an advertising slot and um, they fill it with ads for you. So you don't really have to do too much. You just provide that space in your game for the ad to show up. And um, they pay you per million views. Per, no, per thousand views, sorry. Um, and that, that amount of money goes up and down depending on the demand for ads and things that day. The other thing I have in most of my games is uh, um, you, you can pay 5 to $10 sort of to remove the ads if you mm-hmm. really hate the ads. Um, I have tried other things with like other games with in-app purchases where you could pay to get extra lives or you had a certain amount of time that you could play for and then you wanted to play for longer you had to buy an extra life or things like that but it it gets a bit tricky and it gets a bit yuck like you feel a bit sort of predatory a little bit yeah that's i mean it's such an interesting kind of space and one that i feel like is kind of controversial even you know even someone like myself who's not super into gaming like i'm aware of the um the the kind of news and and controversy that's surrounded in app purchases and uh, loot boxes and things like that so you, you touched it on there but what you mean by icky is it, is it kind of like a, a almost like a, an, an ethical or moral dilemma that you have a that you've had before or that you feel about that yeah i mean i sort of i i when i did it uh, had an earlier game called shuffle islands which isn't on the app store anymore but um was a sort of puzzle game and I was trying to copy the model that um, pretty much like Candy Crush Saga and those mm. games have done. And so I thought, well, if they do it, it must be fine for me to do it. And I thought maybe I'll make lots of money. It'd be great. But um, I had a couple of people email email me and say, look, my, my kid spent money on my credit card and I didn't mean for them to, you know, like my credit card's hooked up to my kid's phone and they've, they've accidentally bought extra lives on here. And, it's cost me this much money and you sort of start feeling a little bit like, well, how much of this money that I'm getting is coming from like kids who shouldn't be using their parents' credit cards or people who don't quite realize that they're spending money or I don't know. I just, it felt like a little bit of a gray area to me and I felt, I mean, I don't really want that on my conscience to be honest, but 
It's it's so interesting that you've actually had people reach out to you as well, and that, that, that you've had that kind of like personal interaction. Whereas I imagine you know some of these massive um, you know uh, games developers and creators who do have those kind of um, in-app purchases available, just they have no qualms about that because there's not that perhaps that personal interaction and experience that they've had as well. Yeah, I think as working as an individual, it's probably um, a lot harder to avoid um, your conscience. No, no, I, I can totally understand that as well. Um, Tom, this has been fascinating, and I think we could probably talk a lot longer <laughs> about this, but thank you so much for your time right. today. Uh, yeah, really appreciate it. It's been so interesting uh, hearing from you. Cool, yeah, that's great. Thanks for having me. I like how we sort of dabbled in the pay-for-play add-ons and then looked at himself and decided that it didn't feel very ethical and changed it, hey, especially how reflecting on kids could get caught up in all of that spending and non-stop money turning over hey yeah exactly it seems like he had a, he had a real like you know in-person experience with this and then changed uh his you know uh, financial design uh, model um as a result of that which i think is probably a testament to tom as well and his uh his morals as you said his ethics yeah really fantastic and um to so to compliment uh tom young's industry know-how um, I chatted with Kylia Scott Grimes. Um, so she's jumped in and out of the gamer life over the years. And she's actually also worked as a document documentary filmmaker and artist looking into women gamers and um, women working in the gaming industry. And so we also spoke about personal life gaming and gaming and money. Um, but yeah, we focused on what uh, really makes her tick as a gamer and the cash that she and others are sort of willing to put behind it. So, Kylie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's very exciting. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing me on. I'm really uh, yeah, looking forward. Yeah, so you're a, you're a gamer, but you're also a, a documentary filmmaker and yes. artist. We're going to start with the, the gaming side of things first. And then yeah, absolutely. And then into the rest of it. Um, do you want to start by telling me, I guess, briefly about your um, life with games, so the kind of games you used to play, and what you're yeah. all about these days. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I really love games since I was tiny. And I guess part of being a filmmaker now is just because I love stories and, and art and music and games or something that kind of brings all of that together. So when I was little, you know, my dad would bring home computer games and I love the story-based ones. Like uh, Seventh Guest was a, a horror game that I used to love. Um, and Legend of Zelda games, I kind of grew up on those and, you know, wanted to be like an adventurer, real life, whatever that meant, um, based on these sort of game characters. And so I played a lot as a kid, but didn't have a lot of different consoles. It was mostly on the, on the computer. And then as I got older, I took kind of a break from it and then returned to gaming, I guess, in my early 20s and realized that there weren't a lot of other girls who were playing games or that there were, but I didn't know where to find them. And so in 2015, I made a documentary called She Got Game, and that was all about like finding other women gamers and developers and seeing kind of how we had grown into the industry and what women in games are doing now. Yeah, cool. And had you... Coming back into, I guess, the the world after a, a bit of a break, had you noticed a huge sort of um, shift in in the kind of games that were really being being promoted? 
I guess the scope of games was so much larger than I had ever realized. Um, and it was just incredible, the huge range of what's out there for any kind of person, no matter what you're into, I feel like there are games for you, no matter what your style would be or aesthetic or, you know, and so I think, um, you know, maybe first person shooters or the massive, uh, you know, multiplayer online games hmm. got the most attention, but there's certainly so much else out there. Totally. You jump on Steam and you can kind of input any any um descriptive word and you, you get something that comes up hey <laughs> yeah I love that I love that so much mm. and yeah. I guess speaking of sort of steam and, and the process of people buying or using online games can you sort of speak to the amount of money that you or your parents sort of um dedicated to games as a kid and sort of what you might look at spending as, as an adult or what you have or those around you yeah, for sure. I think when I was younger, it would be like, we would get one game at Christmas. <laughs> that would be the game for the year, right? My parents are like, why do you need another one? You have one. Right? <laughs> so I don't know how much it would have cost in the early 90s. Mm. I'm not sure, maybe 50 bucks or something for a Nintendo game. Whereas now, I feel like I'm not really a completionist. Like, I love to dabble in all kinds of games. So now cool. that things like Steam exist... I have a huge library and, you know, I haven't, I haven't necessarily played all of them. I don't necessarily finish a game before buying a new one. Mm -hmm. So between my partner and I, we probably buy a new game at least once a month. Cool. And depending on the reviews, even some more expensive games up in the $70, $80 range, if it's something that we're like absolutely sure cool. that we'd love to play. So for me, it's never a waste of money. Like it's a kind of entertainment form that, it's so worth it. Like the hours you get out mm. of it and the enjoyment. Yeah. Yes, it's gone giving. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned reviews. What else might motivate you, whether it's in the game or elsewhere, to spend more time or money on, on the game? Maybe a subconscious motivator. I mean, I think fan culture is a huge part of video games. Yeah. And so, you know, we have like cosplay and all of these kind of like, you know, spin-off things that people enjoy. And so sometimes the more that, there is, let's say, fan fiction or, you know, these mm. like online community things and other activities around the game, the more I might like get into it and want to spend time in that world and spend money that way. Because mm, it's kind of reflective, I suppose, of people getting excited about it. And so yeah. you want to get excited yeah. about it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know a lot of uh, what you've looked at in your professional life is um, women in the gaming industry in terms yeah. of sort of, I guess, incentives to play and and spend money on games and spend more in games would you see that there's a, a difference between what incentivizes men and women and what might that be i don't know if individual items do but definitely the women that i talked to um for the, for the documentary for example most of them said you know if if there's no option to have a female character for example mm. like you know or if the world is one that kind of like women <laughs> don't somehow seem to exist in, mm. then they'd be less likely to get into those kind of games. So obviously some, you know, not all women are the same and not everyone mm. cares about that, but I think representation is important to a lot of women for sure. Yeah. Well, it's funny, this might be a side topic, but there are some games that are obviously like really heavily marketed towards women only. Okay. <laughs> One example would be like the Japanese, uh, the Otome games, which are like mm. these romance novel type games, right? It's all about like fine all these different princes type characters that you can choose from. And so there, a lot of it is like, you know, you pay extra money for, for different outfits, right? 
yes. or for like extra bonus chapters that take the romance to the next level or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Which so, is something that I've heard sort of comes yeah. up in, in like different ways in a lot of games, right? Like, so taking it to the next level, but with some money behind it. Exactly. A couple things, like some games I feel are designed in such a way that you can play them for free. Mm. but you're really made to play the paid version mm. in the sense that the, the free version will have, um, you really have to like grind to get past certain points and mm. that it's kind of boring and irritating. But if you just pay something, then you can get past that and keep going with the story. Yeah. So um, I'm really story focused person. So sometimes I don't, I don't mind spending to just get to the next yeah. <laughs> you know, part of the game. In my uh, vast research, I was looking at yes. um, sort of the, um, some of the, the things that people will pay for, like I think it came up in, in World of Warcraft, paying for someone to to grind on a, a really like tedious kind of thing to and then yeah. get your character beyond that. Do you, yeah. you don't really see that as like a, like, oh, you're not putting in the time to get to the story. You're <laughs> there for the, the experience, not necessarily the like right. ticking, off, ticking off skills stuff. I guess I just... I've dropped away all snobbery about that. <laughs> so Love I it. feel like I would just, you know, if there's a part I can't get past, yeah, I would I would have no shame in like turning it over to someone else to to keep going. Unless it's a skill that you need, like that you can't get through the rest of the game right. without if you don't like okay. train yourself. But um yeah, I, I think Very whatever practical. makes you the ha- yeah, whatever makes you the happiest playing the game, and sometimes that's not spending twenty hours trying to do the same maneuver over and over. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not that great that. technically speaking <laughs> at a lot of games, so I'm um, yeah, I'm happy for someone else to do it. <laughs> and probably last question: if you were to sort of want to see the the industry go in any one direction or develop in a certain way, what what avenue would you like it to to go down? Well, I think already we're seeing a change in the, the types of characters and stories that are being mm. told, and there's so much room to grow in that direction. And so it's not um, just about, you know, plunking a female character down into a game. It's really expanding the scope and, you know, more games is better. Not, not like limiting the scope of each one, but just, you know, and, and that's important in the development team, like on that side, you know, who they're bringing in to work on the games and what perspective they're bringing. Thank you so much for yeah, having a chat with us. It's been very insightful and I feel like I'm ready to get gaming. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. please get out there. Everybody <laughs> pick up the game. It's honestly, well, I'll, I don't think it's a waste of time, but <laughs> <laughs> no. speaking to somebody who loves them. <laughs> Anything you love is never a waste of time, but thank you Agreed. so much. So that's a really great different perspective to have, I think, to compliment Tom's interview as well. And it's just, it's so interesting to me how much game prices have changed, how the money that you pay has changed. And just like, mm. this, it's like, as you guys were chatting about, there's just so much more variety in terms of like opportunities to pay for different things. Yeah, or not. Also just to avoid it. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Now, I think we've had a lot of fun with gaming, but it's probably time that we logged off and wrapped things up with the beans. So this is where we share some of our own money confessions or awkward financial missteps. Yes. Uh, goodbye, gaming, for now. Um, <laughs> today on The Beans, we are going to be talking all about 
uh, scrimping on delivery fees. Uh, it's a topic I can totally get around. I think you can as well, Liv. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so like while the $3 delivery fee for takeaway dinner or the 5 bucks you might pay for shipping on the Iconic or Amazon, whatever it is, might not look like a lot when we actually are ordering something that's worth like 10 times that. Um, we do do an awful lot to avoid paying that fee. Uh so, Liv, what's your take on the subject? How far will you go to avoid paying delivery or do you just not care? Well, look, you know I love bargains. so <laughs> This is true. I, I, do a, I do a fair bit but uh, to, to avoid uh, paying delivery fees, but I sort of try and do it um, a bit strategically so I'm not inadvertently spending more. So, like, if you know a store has uh, a shipping fee, whether it's high or whatever, if you spend over a certain amount, um, you can cancel it out. I'll often wait to purchase something I need sort of in bulk mm. to um, so I can get beyond that price limit or if I need to purchase um, an item or want to from the same place, then I make sure I do it all at the same time to avoid that. But, I mean, if I'm not basing it on need, I think it's also just about a perception of value, right? So like Yes, exactly. Yeah, like skipping a shipping fee can really feel worth it, even if you're spending an unexpected like $20 or $30 all of a sudden just to avoid that that five bucks. Um, but then in the food department, I'm even I'm even <laughs> even uh, more inclined to uh, to avoid fees because I'm just pretty. Ha- I'm not a fussy eater, so I'm very happy to choose stuff from like the Uber Eats menu that's like free delivery in, in your area. So or getting back is every options. single night is what you're saying. Yeah, that's pretty much all I eat. No, like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just I'm very I'm very happy to avoid because I just I love I love all food. What about you, Tom? Um, I I also love all food, um, but no, I I hate delivery fees like mm. with a passion, especially the sneaky ones. Like you know when you're going to buy something online and you have to go through like all the different steps of checkout just to get you know the price that they're making you pay for shipping and it turns out they're gouging you for it i just mm-hmm. yeah that really rubs me the wrong way obviously um so that means that i'm like end up being a bit of a sucker for you know like the office you get on asos or iconic or wherever where they give you free shipping or even better like the glorious expediated shipping is it expediated i don't know what it's called i don't even know what that is you know fast shipping um oh right 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 even if it means having to buy more clothes to get it i'm totally on board for that um which probably doesn't make a lot of sense financially does it i mean maybe not but it's emotional and i have a feeling that there are plenty of people who feel the same hey, I'm a, kind of an emotional person so yeah the same kind of like a, a rational satisfaction i suppose but yeah. um anyway let's stop shopping we'll leave it there and we'll say that the beans have officially been spilled good call um before we go, a big thanks to everyone who's already liked the Finance Burrito uh, Facebook page. Yes. Uh, if you haven't already, go show it some love. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. And while you're at it, hit subscribe on your podcast app so you know we automatically hit your feed every fortnight on that Monday morning. And you know what? You know, if you like the show, why not tell a friend about how much you enjoy it? Really get into their ear about it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, or better yet, <laughs> tell your Uber Eats driver. Well, the Australia Post mailman, you know, they've got plenty of time to hear your spiel about how lovely we are. Yeah, and to listen to the podcast on the road. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, great idea. Totally. And also a big thanks to producer Claire, our researchers, uh, Jada and Gemma, and our social media wrangler, Rihanna. And yes, tune in for the next episode in a fortnight, everyone. We'll see you then. See you guys.
Just remember, as Mozo writers, we're providing general financial product information. So we're not taking into account your specific financial situation, needs, or personal objectives. We are not recommending any specific product to you. The best advice we can give you is to make your own financial decisions or seek out independent advice. This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au.